everybody welcome to the 262nd edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in rip city and i got my man sage chilling here in uh, beaverton oregon uh yeah i'm i'm pretty uh pretty happy that, uh, about some results from last week but we'll talk about that in my good section of the week glad to be here talking with you uh, on the podcast and uh i'm ready to roll well, pump, pump the brakes. Pump, there. pump, pump it up like Joe Budden. Yes, like Joe. First of all, that song was on one of the Madden soundtracks that oh, I yeah. played. Pump, pump, pump. Oh, yeah. There are certain songs I can still hear, and I have to skip regardless of whether I like it, whether I like the artist. Like I, I that song is like melted into my memory bank for all eternity, and it's just because like it was especially playing when you were uh, trendy, like back in the OG, like my player days. Mm-hmm. Did you do all of the drills and stuff? I remember this exact Madden. I think it's like 06, right? Yep. And it was just like constant, constant, constant. Like it's Joe Budden got his play. He got paid off that shit. Those royalties were so good. I love Nappy Roots, but there was the Ah Rock remix that I I just can't do anymore. Uh, Outcast had a couple of tracks on there. That's a beat running like Brandy Moss. (laughs) That was Killer Mike, right? That was Killer Mike. Yes. (laughs) Um, but Sage, with it being the holidays, the Drew um, holidays, the Drew holidays, this is our our, our last pre pre Christmas podcast. I want to know what is your f- just most memorable or special Christmas or holiday gift that you've ever received? Who gift? First, I want to talk about my favorite Christmas memory. Um, I was a choir boy for a long time um, to raise money for like a choir field trip that I was on. We were selling these like dessert, like uh, like dessert bakery goods, like, you know, like a, a cake or something, uh, like a pie. And we went, op- went to uh, the living room to open gifts and I had a dog at the time. She got on the chair and then got on the table and then ate the entire, I think it was called a butter bread dessert thing. So that, that I think that's my most vivid uh, uh, memory because it, w- it was just quiet. And then all of a sudden you heard just a loud smack, another loud smack, and then her just scampering away, the happiest she's ever been. <laughs> that, was a, that was a hit and run right there. Oh, bro. She, she planned that shit so well. Hmm. About a gift, though. I think my favorite was when Harry Potter came out. My mom bought the first three and then we read it together. So that might have been my favorite Christmas gift in memory. But I can't really think of like, you know, I got an Xbox and I had so much. Oh, maybe maybe it was when I got a PlayStation 2 when that shit just got released. I remembered I didn't know how to turn it off. So I slept in the room that I game in. Cause just like, oh, what if I press this button and it turns out and it never turns back on? <laughs> so maybe the PS2 and like when Pump It Up was popular. <laughs> That's a good one. I think my most memorable, I was probably seven. And 
my my dad and my grandpa would like they kept building something and it was outside and like they were pouring cement and there was a big uh kind of like a like a cylinder and i'm like what, what is that and they're like oh it's to tie up the boat my dad had a fishing boat you know so so robbers wouldn't get him like oh totally so makes smart it's totally makes sense like there's nothing but the cylinder so people you know looking back could just put the rope over the top of the cylinder and and then go so clearly uh seven-year-old Dustin was you are the uh, most smartest person in the world at age seven I guess I, I, I was not uh on Kevin McAllister's level um shall we, McAllister. shall we, my favorite McAllister <laughs> any I've been interrupting way too much but do so some better we <laughs> usually open presents on Christmas Eve so got everything it was a great Christmas Christmas morning comes kind of uh go outside and there's a basketball hoop there. Like I'd never had a basketball hoop before. Like I was, you know, just a couple of years into really being into basketball, had a basketball hoop. It was like cemented in, it was 10 feet tall. Like I just went out there and I shot hoops. I mean, just days on days on days. So like that was my most memorable just because it was such a surprise and it was something that I really enjoyed. Um, and as a kid, like when you get gifts, they're always fun to have the gifts that you can go and use and, and play. So that was easily my most, uh, memorable Christmas gift. When I, when you talked about them, like working on something, I was like, he's getting a bike. He's definitely getting a bike. Nah, I guess it's a, a basketball hoop plus, a, a boat thingy. <laughs> All right, Sage, let's get into the week that was for the Portland Trailblazers. They went two and two on the week. They are 13 and 18 on the season, 11th place in the Western Conference. Sage, the results as were losing in overtime to the Phoenix Suns, 111-107. They had a back-to-back against the Memphis Grizzlies. They fell short after a strong fourth-quarter push from the Grizz. Memphis winning 113-103. to 103. They bounced back, defeating the Charlotte Hornets 125-116, to 116, nearly blowing a 30-point lead. And then they had a pretty surprising victory this afternoon in Memphis, picking up their second road win of the season, defeating the Grizz 105-100 on the backs of 60 points from Damian Lillard and Norman Powell combined. As always, Sage, we kick it off with the good. What was your good for the week? You should go with your good first because mine's 100% selfish. <laughs> no, I always kick it to you. Okay, fine. So on Friday, I do what I always do and enter Max Enter's tournaments in FanDuel. And, uh, you know, I put all my lineups together and there was one that just had so much potential to for it. Like 350 points is like something you brag about now. This one that was projected for 423, and I was just like, how is this going to happen? And I had Damien and Harrison Barnes, D'Lo, and Cat left, and I was like, oh, it has a chance. And when Dame was so hot in the first quarter against the Hornets, I was like, looks like I'm making my money back. This is great. And then when uh, the Charlotte went on the run, I'm like, he's going to have to come back and finish this game out. This is going to be beautiful. And uh, he did. He was my highest scoring player of the game. I ended up getting fifth place in the tournament. And if you want to read the thought process about constructing that lineup and playing DFS and gambling during a COVID era, 
check it out on our blog, holybackboard.com. The good of the week was actually really challenging for me because I initially thought, oh, let, let's let's talk about Ben McLemore. He had such a fantastic performance against the Charlotte Hornets, uh, really unconscious from downtown, 8 of 13 in route to 28 points off the bench. And it was like, well, I can't go Ben McLemore because he had he does what Ben McLemore does. He has ceiling games and he has floor games. And then he followed it up with a floor game against the Memphis Grizzlies. He skunked zero points in 15 minutes. So I was like, I can't go Ben McLemore. Is it Damian Lillard? Like, I'm not sure. Like he had kind of an up and down week as well, you know, 31 points, but on 31 shots um, against the Phoenix Suns, 21 points, but on 21 shots the following night against the Grizzlies. Not super great, but then he really bounced back. He had a vintage Lillard performance uh, against the Hornets, uh, 43, 8, and 4, including, you know, 12 of 19 from the floor. Like anytime Dame shoots over 50% from the floor, you know he's in a groove because he tends to be a little bit of a volume shooter doing more of his work at the line. But he not only shot efficiently from the floor, but he got to the line 14 times um hitting 13 of them and then he bounced back with another fantastic performance tonight in memphis 32 points got to the line again 12 times and was 9 of 19 from the floor so you know getting 32 points on just 19 shots is fantastic so you know i think you have to give like half good to damien lillard because it seems like he is starting to to find his groove but i also think there was some good news on the injury front from the Portland Trailblazers uh, in, in regards to CJ McCollum. You know, the team uh, released a, a statement on his, I think, rehab process on the 16th and says basically he will continue his recovery protocol, which includes light conditioning, and he's going to re- be reevaluated next week. Um, he's not traveling with the team on their upcoming road trip to Memphis and new Orleans. And again, reevaluation does not mean he's playing in a week, but when you're talking about a collapsed lung and something that really impacts the breathing one, it's good that he's, I think, given the green light to be in attendance at the games, but two, he's still able to do some light conditioning. So anytime Portland is, is able to get that their second best player back, whenever that may be, hopefully it's sooner rather than later. I think that is, uh, you know, worthy of being, in in the good section so um that's my good for the week sage what 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 was your bad i mean for for the good like yeah good if i wasn't going to be a selfish prick that talked about how well he did in the daily fantasy game i would have said dame versus memphis because that charlotte game it's tailor-made for a guard to do well like fastest pace so more possessions really bad defense so you're going faster and you're going to play against a team that doesn't care about defense at all. Dame should smash that spot. But Memphis with John Morant out, they've been playing some really good defense. The uh, Hornets announcer or the Memphis announcers kept saying, you know, in the last 10, we're, you know, the sixth place team in the league in defense. And it's like, that is a challenge, especially with Dylan Brooks, Desmond Bain, Xavier Tillman. Steven Adams, Jaron Jackson Jr., even though he fouled every – he only played 16 minutes because he couldn't keep his hands to himself. Like, that that team has a supply of great defenders that, in theory, could stop Damian Lillard. And in this particular game, against a really good defense, the hottest team in the league, he did really well. 
So if I wasn't going to be selfish and talk about myself and my DFS processes, that would have been Memphis. But the bad for the week, oh, man. I know you didn't watch the game, but there was a play where uh, slow-mo, Kyle Anderson, his knee went into Dame's ribs, and you could see the grimace in his face. And he continued to play basketball for three minutes visually, visibly injured because of his chest. And Chauncey Billups didn't call a timeout, didn't do nothing. Dame just played through it. I don't know if that's bad or ugly, but that's just unacceptable when you're seeing your star player, someone who makes your life so much easier, just be injured and you're not calling a timeout or doing an intentional foul or something to get him off the court. Yeah, that that was exactly my bad for the week. It was a, almost a perfect segue into it. Damian Lillard averaged 40 minutes over the four games this week. Thibodeau would be like he would blushing, flush. blushing at this. Oh, yeah. Like you're playing him this many minutes and he's recovering from an injury. Like, how are we going to? There needs to be a minutes limit on recovering players. Is CJ McCollum once he comes back and plays 36 minutes instantly? Yeah, so he he averaged 40 minutes a night. Remind you, he he just returned last Sunday against Minnesota. The game against Phoenix, which really, really peeved me. Damian Lillard came in at about the 825 mark of the second quarter, did not get one rest other than a halftime or a timeout. That's That was 38 straight minutes of basketball. And... On his second game back from a, a long-term lingering abdominal injury, and you could tell he was gassed in the in the overtime period. Every time he shot the ball, I knew it was going to be short, and I knew it was going to be off. And it was short, and it was off. And Chris Paul went down and, and made the shots that. And you could just see that he was he had nothing left in the tank because Chauncey didn't have the wherewithal to either a give his player a breather B know that he was coming off of an injury that's been affecting him and can impact, you know, can impact your breathing and conditioning. Cause it's right in on the, on the side of your body. Like when you're running, like you feel that shit every time up and down the court or see, he doesn't trust anybody else on the roster. Like my biggest pet peeve with this season is it feels like we're doing whatever it humanly possible takes to get a playoff spot and and long-term be damned. We are going to run Dame into the ground because that's what this team is. This team is Damian Lillard. And then you might get a good night from Ben McLemore. Norm Powell might ball out. You might get a great night from Anthony or Yusuf, but this team is, is Dame and, and that's it. And they are, they are riding that train as hard and as fast and as long as they possibly can. And I just, I, I want to know why. Because Chauncey Billups is a, uh... it's not even Chauncey though. I I truly believe it's Joe Cronin. I believe it's Jody Allen. I believe it's Burt Cold. Like there is no organizational vision for what they want to accomplish. And that, I think that's where, it becomes a little disheartening as a fan because you feel like obviously our hands are tied. We, we can't do anything, but I don't have trust in any portion of 
of, of the Blazers, whatever pillar of leadership you determine that is, because the vision is we just want to win and we want to win now, but we're not going to, so far, we're not going to do anything through the the, the trade market to uh, up, upgrade the roster. You know, you asked me on text, like, is, is this team a playoff team? Not, not playing. Is it a playoff team? And I said, well, if you're asking me in the COVID era, like right now, when, when so many teams are going down left and right and, you know, knock on wood, Portland is able to stay healthy. Yeah. I think that's a possibility. I don't think they're, they're a threat, but if everyone was healthy right now, no, no, I just, I, I don't see it. So I want to continue to have Damian Lillard play at a high level. And I know this is something that, that we've said continuously, like, is, is there a, is there a happy medium, right? That, that the organization and Dame can, can come to you. Can it be, can we rest him on back-to-backs? Can we set a minutes restriction? Like, you know, Dame is going to play all great players want to play, but it seems like the organization is just like, yeah, do whatever you want, Dame. Like we're, we, we want the same things too. Like it just doesn't feel like they're not looking out for Dame's best interests and their interests aren't what the best is for the franchise. Like, it's it's really tough to see because if we do go all in, Sage, chances are it's going to be to win next year and the year after. You don't want Dame on that Mike Conley curve where mm. he just has nothing left and you're wasting. I don't want to say wasting. That's a wrong term because of what Dame's given the franchise. But you're allocating a significant amount of salary cap to a player who his best days are, are behind him, but yet you have no future avenues uh, of assets coming in to help you get better. So like if you push your chips in, you want to make sure you have that best version of of Damian Lillard. So that, that was really concerning to me this week, just the amount of minutes that, that he was playing. And I think the blazer fandom echoes a lot of that sentiments. You know, I tweeted that, that um, Phoenix stat after the game. And that was one of like, one of my best performing, you know, tweets because everyone was like, Oh, like you don't really realize like, you know, Dame's been playing a while. Did he get a break? No. Screenshotted something from popcorn machine where it just shows like the game, the, the, the game flow and Dame doesn't take a break for a big portion of the game. That's insanity. You know, with Chauncey Billups having a four or five year contract, it's like he has some room to potentially like, set some limits. I get Joe Cronin. Like this is his first chance at the job. He's probably going to want to be hyper aggressive with trying to keep the said job. So I get it on his part, but Chauncey Billups has a long ass contract. The worst thing that can happen to him is that we fire him and pay him for four more years to just leave. You know what I'm saying? So he has, he has a very long leash can like compared to other coaches and in the league, like their rotations are pretty set. I mean, it, it, it's kind of concerning because I remember what you sending me this blog or like a forum about Chauncey Billups relying on his, uh, his assistant coaches. You know, who was assistant lead assistant coaches, Scotty fucking Brooks. Brooks, who last year Ooh. had the worst rotations, the worst offense I've ever seen. So Scotty we, Brooks had three MVPs. Mm-hmm. on his roster couldn't get it done that that should say enough so That's it's all. kind of the blind leading the blind in terms of coaching like when we signed chauncey billups i knew from the bottom of my heart we were getting somebody 
to be the assistant coach, to be the, the, the lead assistant. We could have done so much better. Like anybody's better than the guy that I, I don't, I, you had to have watched two wizard games last year, but I watched a bunch just because they're a seven o'clock team or four o'clock team. That rotation minutes, minutes and actual like strategy atrocious. So yeah, I would say kind of dig deep into the team. It's like, who the fuck is the adult on this team? Is it Scotty? Yeah. I mean, not only is is Dame logging a ton of minutes, you you look at the game tonight, six players played at least 29 minutes for the Blazers, only eight players suited up. Like I understand that the coaching staff is playing the, the, the hand that they were dealt in terms of the roster but it doesn't make a lot of sense to me to trim it down to an eight man rotation. Like Dennis Smith jr. Has shown he's been worthy of some minutes. Tony Snell can come in for, you know, wasn't he, didn't he have a personal issue for two of the games or most of it? I believe he was uh, available to play just in general, like a a player like Tony Snell, uh, CJ Ellaby is like a second round pick. Like we usually see blazer second round picks start to show something around this time. Do you think uh, that shows that he, Chauncey is legitimately on the hot seat if he's playing all of these players extended minutes like Thibodeau, except worse? That is a really good question. I don't know if he was. Or is it just that. complete inexperience? I, I think there's a little. So I don't think he's on the hot seat. I, I do think it comes with inexperience. I do think it comes with being five games under 500 and you have a star player who could really ask out at, at, at any moment. I think there's a lot of pressure right now. Um, I think it's a lot of unnecessary pressure right now, again, coming from ownership because they don't have the the organizational self-awareness to see that this team is far in, in a way from, from competing. And that's why for me, Sage, it, it was really hard to come up with a good because we all fan in different ways. There, there are some of us that, that watch the game and we want the Blazers to win regardless. There are some of us that watch the game and, you know, we may realize this might not be our year. So can we get some, some young players developed? There are others that are just like, we need to hit the reset button. Like, are these wins really best for, you know, with if the, if this is the current roster we're gonna have, like, are our wins really what we need right now? Like, we we've talked about the, the draft picks and maybe finding a game changer. You know, through through the draft, is Portland beating Memphis and Charlotte? Are we gonna look back and be like, did that was that the reason we got into the first round of the playoffs and then got swept? Like, there needs to be, and this is why I think Joe Cronin is almost a little bit on on the hot seat as well because. Fans, I think in inadvertently have been promised change. Like we 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 know what doesn't work. So you know, I know trades don't often happen as soon as that December 15th date hits the calendar, but now the clock really picks up as it heads into the trade deadline. Obviously, these wins help if you go out and you get like a, a Miles Turner, so to speak, or or whoever, Pascal Siakam, just to throw names out there that says, okay, Portland, you, you're trying to compete. You're trying to get at least to the conference finals. Hell yeah, these wins matter. Absolutely. But Sage, I've been a fan long enough. I know I've brought you along 
for the ride along the, you know, the Blazers, we, they, they don't make blockbuster trades. The, the last blockbuster trade was for Scottie Pippen. That was for t- 21 years ago, 22 years ago. You know, this franchise's idea of a blockbuster trade was moving draft capital for Robert Covington. Like it hasn't been in the DNA of this franchise for, for quite some time. So I know a lot of fans out there are hanging their hat on the possibility of that trade happening. And I think you're right in in an instance to do that. But if that trade doesn't happen and Portland is, is left with this roster, maybe even a worse off roster because Joe Cronin is saying, Hey, we just need to shed salary to get under the luxury tax so we can have our full mid-level exception next off season. Then you, I don't know really why you would want to, to win now. Like you would really want to do as bad as possible, get your superstar healthy and, and go for it next year. But then if you do make that trade, yes, you want to win now. So it's really hard for me personally following this team to see like, I, I, sometimes I don't know what, what's a good result. It's it's hard to see because you don't know the direction of the franchise based upon their actions. You know, it it, it brings up a point. I, I, the first year we did the podcast, 2016? 2015-16. So remember there was that debate. Do we trade Mason Plumley for draft fit, like for more draft capital and suck? Or do we try and make a good trade and compete? And you and I were kind of on the tank side. And I remember a listener, Kim Thrasher, was just so anti that. So even if you and I just see something, another person, because this is all subjective, can see something else. Like, you know, if we if we trade CJ, Norm and all this and have a different roster, we have a chance. So like even if we're confident in what they're saying, some people just see this shit so differently than you and I. Um, and they're not wrong. I mean, shit. And with trades, like luck, it has so much to do with it. Like I remember I remember uh, watching an Iguodala interview on, I think like the Knuckleheads podcast where he was talking about like Golden State was trying to sign Dwight Howard instead of him. And if Dwight didn't sign, they'd sign Andre. Just think about the Warriors franchise if they had Dwight Howard and how the NBA is going because of, you know, the Warriors went with Iguodala. Like so many things have to happen for you to make that trade. So I assume Joe Cronin is talking to all 29 other teams. He just has to convince one of them to make a good, uh, make that trade. And that's the thing. Can he convince someone to take a 30 year old CJ McCollum recovering from a lung injury? It's all about, you know, what he, what they, he can do to make that trade happen. Uh, right now, I don't feel like anybody really wants CJ because of his injury issues, his age and contract, but I, I've been wrong plenty of times before. I'm wrong almost every day. So it's like, we got to wait and see what happens. I, I, I don't, I don't know what Joe Cronin's doing. Cause I'm not, I'm not his boy. You know? Yeah. That, that's exactly where I'm at. I mean, a, a wait and see approach with, with this team. Like if, if I have to you know, be honest, like I want the loss because this is the current roster that we have and it's, it's worse somehow than it was, was last year. And, you know, Portland hasn't knock on wood, hasn't been impacted by, by the COVID kind of outbreak that that's taken place in, in the national basketball association, aside from these recent injuries to Cody Zeller and CJ McCollum, 
and pretty fucking healthy, you know, in comparison to previous seasons and other teams. And, and yet, exactly. And yet they're still underperforming from a mediocre pace from, from last season. So that, 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 that speaks volumes to me that they've had these strategic and tangible advantages, yet they haven't been able to turn those into victories. Like if I'm being completely honest right now, Portland should be fighting for the Utah jazz, at least for the third seed in the West, like given the, the state of, of their health, both, you know, on court and off court, given all of the prior injuries going into the season and what happened with other teams, just the, I think the other underperformance of certain players, like, absolutely. Like, to be honest, it's, it's ridiculous that Portland is tied with Sacramento it's ridiculous that Denver is four games up on Portland with, without Murray and Porter Jr. Uh, Memphis, even though Portland defeated them, they've gone on this run without John ja Morant and they're six games up on, on Portland. Like that's, that's no joke. There's like 50 games left. It's hard to make up six games in 50 because you have to do that consistently and consistency hasn't been Portland's friend this year. So if Portland were, I think, a little bit higher in the standings right now, I, I think there would be more excitement o- over the recent performances. But as you said, Sage, the, the one victory came against the Hornets where, where they absolutely should have done that. The Hornets are even a, a worse defensive team than, than the Trailblazers. Long, uh, LaMelo Ball was coming back from his first game uh, from the health and safety protocols. And Terry Rozier, like, just think about how long it they still played. took Ben McLemore 28 points for them to win that game. Well, like, just think they rode Miles Bridges, Gordon Hayward, Cody Martin to death to win those games. I might have missed, oh, Kelly Oubre. They rode those four players to death for the last week and a half. They, those, that team should be exhausted. When we were up by 30, they should have been staying up by 30. Like and Charlotte was the team that was grinding that you, like they were not giving up. The Blazers in the past, if they were down 30, do you really think they're getting back up? No. Yeah. So my my one of my questions is have you been watching college basketball yet? Yes, I uh, you know, I watch games whenever they're on. I I watched the Oregon Baylor game um Saturday night uh Baylor has a top 20 prospect in Kendall Brown uh really just looks looks the part freshman bouncy as hell plays the pass if he figures it out he's going to be a problem oh, if he figures out the shot holy shit so he's he he looks like a pup right now but if he becomes a a big dog watch out so my thing is when I'm we're pretty bad right now. So it's a good time to think about the draft. It's like the last two years, there's been these, I don't want to say franchise changing, but there's guys that have the chance to do it and playmaking. I think playmaking is the toughest skill in basketball. I don't really think anybody in the draft this year has it outside of like the 99th percentile Chet Holmgren. And that's not going to happen most likely. So Pablo is the number one guy, but does a post up four in today's era of basketball really get you going with how we're going with how the game's going? One thing that I've learned when I'm watching, 
and this is one reason why I don't, let's say Gonzaga and Duke are playing. Like, yeah, you'll probably want to watch it. But one thing I've learned from watching college basketball is a lot of times the coach is just going to put the player in position to succeed for, for that school to win. Right. So whether that's posting him up against a smaller guy, like that's a skill he's probably not going to have too often to showcase in the NBA. And and it's it's a specific Duke example. Like I remember really liking Jason Tatum, but all of the um, scouting reports said, oh, he's just really good in isolation. That's all he wants to do is ISO. And I was like, oh, we really don't need that type of player. And yes, I know he kind of turned into that, but he's still a superstar. Like he's able to do other things, but at Duke, he was just so good. Like yeah, they just I, I, the same thing with Kentucky guards too. Yeah, you just you go to the well, and that's what they do. Like you look at a player like Andre Drummond in, in 2012. Like he had no guards at Connecticut. Like I watched him play, and like yeah, he looked disinterested because nobody would pass him the goddamn ball. So you have friendly to, Beal with set, uh, two senior point guards. Yeah, so it's it's really hard when you're watching because the the objectives are different. The game is so different. The game is almost un unwatchable unless you're really invested. Um, I say that coming to you from somebody who dragged you to the PK Invitational and watched that abysmal <laughs> that was Oregon, the worst shit ever um, BYU performance. So it, it's when you say that's what he is, you know he's he was still the number one, number two player coming out of high school. He's still putting up numbers in college. What what I look for in a player is, can they move? Like, are they agile laterally? Do they have the hips? Do they have IQ? What does their form on their jump shot look like? Are are they talking on defense? Um, Just kind of like look at them almost like clay. Can can they be molded into what they are projected to be? Or do they look like they're pretty tapped out? Like Luca Garza, great great player. Great college player. You can tell that that was almost a finished product, though. Like, you're not going to be able to mold too much. Like, he's not going to all of a sudden be a superb athlete. He's not going to grow four or five inches. He is he is a short five, and that's really not going to translate to the league. But you look at, you know, uh, a Chet, you can see, yeah, he's weak now, but you can gain weight. Can, can he handle the – okay, he's got ball skills. Like he can, he can shoot. He's got range. Like these are things that, that you can, imp- there are things you can fix and there are things you can't fix. So that's what you have to, you have to watch when, when you're looking at, I mean, nobody saw this from Scotty Barnes. Like he wasn't showcasing this at Florida state, like Lorenzo Hamilton or Leonard Hamilton is not showcasing a lot of his players at Florida state. Then they go to the league and all of a sudden they just take it by, by gangbusters. So you have to know what system the, the coaches are running Sometimes they're they're playing them at a position that's not going to be their NBA position. Look at Dylan Brooks, uh, a player who was a small ball four at Oregon, who as a diehard Duck fan who watched every game of that Final Four year, I didn't think he would be a great NBA player. Like if you would have said he's going to stick in the league four or five years, I'd say that is a major accomplishment. But he is a fantastic NBA player. He had 37 tonight on he's he's a, a three-tier scorer. He can shoot the three. He can post up. He can put the ball on the floor. He can get to the bucket. He can really do everything at that, you know, guard forward position. And that's something that watching him play, I would have, he's a great defender too. I would have never projected him to be that, but looking back, it's like, okay, he had a pretty good jumper. He has a motor like none other, and that's really translated. And he has a work ethic, a player like Will Barton as well had that work ethic 
And that's really what propelled him from second round washout to second, third contract type of player. So there's a lot of things upstairs with these players too, that you're really not going to be able to see what, when you go and watch a game. So that, that comes from the interview process. So basically, you know, long answer short, you can't really make rash decisions. Like you can't say, Oh, this guy had a dud of a game. Like there's so many things that go on, like the shot clock's long. They only play 40 minutes. They play zone. They're able to stay in the key without getting three in the key on defense. There's just a, a, a lot of different things. Like some, sometimes they play traditional bigs. Like you may be, you might be playing on a court. I'll use Oregon again, for example, they tr- play traditional four five. Like there's not a lot of spacing. They're running post ups. That's not going to be the NBA. So you have to think about, can this player fit into what we're doing on, on our, our scheme and on a league wide, you know, level. So it's it's really hard, but if if you watch Paolo and you see, okay, he's fluid, he can move. Who can he guard? Who do you think he's going to be able to guard? Like, is he a four? Is he a five? What he's does four. he translate to? So mm-hmm. I, I think with the like, Paolo thing, with what Duke is trying to do, like this is his this is Coach K's last ride. They're putting him in. They're doing whatever every, they can to win that net. Yeah, yeah. So it's like they're putting the ball in Paolo's hands. So you're seeing him in a much more diverse type of uh game than you know you would with chet who let's be real is put in a really weird situation with that other center uh drew timmy drew timmy like drew timmy deserves every paint touch he gets yeah speaking of luca garza that is a luca garza type of player that's why he came you don't see all americans returning for junior and senior seasons but that's because he knows he this is where he taps out like there, he has things that you can't teach, like you can improve on. Like this is the player that he is. Like it reminds me of um, Sheldon Williams was a player that went ahead of Brandon Roy in, in, in that draft. And even back then I was like, this guy can't shoot. I mean, this guy just couldn't really move. And they said, he's just this fantastic defender, but like you see th- certain things and you're like, he's too short. Like he's, he's not going to be able to space the floor. Um, on the other hand, the one, and we've been doing draft previews for forever on this podcast. If you're looking for a skill set, especially in a late round pick, a rebounder, if you can rebound the basketball, you are going to succeed in the league. I mean, the list goes on from Paul Millsap to um, Ken Freed. Ken Freed was a big guy. Like, but if you can rebound the basketball, those are instincts, regardless of size and height, that are going uh, to translate to the next level. I, I mean, I'm going to, I think I said it last week, but Jabari uh, Smith is my number one guy with a bullet. I mean, what's I think your top five right now? It's just a top three and then everybody else, but it's Jabari, Paolo, and uh, Chet, uh, Chet. I could lie and say that I watched enough uh, Jalen Duran to say I know stuff. And then the guy on the uh, Ignite is good. And then uh, Jalen Ivory on Purdue's all right. Like I, th- th- this draft to me is like the top end is like all-star role player. Like, you know, what, what Chris Middleton does for Milwaukee. But yeah, I, I think that with where the league is going, I'm, I'm going with Jabari Smith because 6'10", 40% three-point shooting, good rebounding. And you, you, uh, you talked about, 
imagining them in NBA. I could see him being a small ball five with how good he is as a rebounder. He was not going to block shots like Chet, but he's going to get the rebound. And that that's a huge thing with Chet. Like that's such an interesting prospect. Like, do you trust Chauncey Billups to cultivate him and make him good? I don't. Jabari Smith, like I keep seeing these TikTok videos about like dogs that are a mixed breed can achieve anything. And then the purebred dogs get sick with like, you know, tap water and stuff like Jabari Smith is going to be good. Chet needs a really nice coaching staff. And like when we, we talk about Ben McLemore, I remember both of us thinking he's going to be awesome. Then he went to Sacramento and he's not awesome because of that. So like with Dylan Brooks, I think he went to the perfect situation. So draft like drafting, you know, there's players that you were super sure of. I, you know, there's players I was super sure of as well. You know, the place where they go has a lot of factor in them. And then all those other things that you mentioned, like, you know, what's going on in their head, you know, you, you and I watching in our TVs don't really know that. I would just say to those that are like, maybe not as high on the draft and and really want to win now. I would just even look back the last four years. Like we have seen some, I think we're seeing more and more franchise changing players in the draft and also their impacts are being felt immediately. You look at in 2018, Luca and Trey have those franchises set for the foreseeable future. 2019, John Morant is probably going to be an all-star this year and is the face of the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies, after kind of running its course with the Marc Gasol, the grit and grind, uh, Zebo, Tony Allen, Mike Conley, they're now on, on the rise. Last year, you have Anthony Edwards, who could potentially get Minnesota Timberwolves into the playoffs for the second time in, what, 15, 16 years? LaMelo Ball has the Charlotte Hornets as a, a much a must-watch uh, Lee pass team like he I, I watched him play in that Portland game and you can't be anything but enthused just his size his fluidity what he's able to do his vision like you're looking at possibly the next like penny or, or magic like he he's going to be that good like they have that building block even this year Evan fucking Mobley could Scotty Barnes in Scotty Barnes Mobley has the Cavaliers playing without Colin Sexton. The Cavaliers could make the playoffs. He could he could legitimately be defensive player of the year as a rookie. James like, Wiseman, he's been really a good friend to Clay Thompson during his recovery process. <laughs> but you're seeing all of these players come in and just change the course of a franchise. Portland Cunningham putting up big numbers too. Yeah, Portland's had that with Dame. I'm, I'm not saying that we're going to automatically, you know, I think Chet Holmgren, for example, is, is a ways away, but it can happen. And if the worst comes to worst, you get a good pick you can use as a trade ship. So, you know, that's why it's, I, I tend to not get get too high over, over victories or or anything like that because, you know, Portland really has to, before I think they can, they can like take their steps. I think they need to recharge their batteries and you need, you need picks, you need, you need new players. And that's actually what, what teams want. So, you know, yeah, it's nice. We have some expiring contracts, but the, the asset chest is, is a little bare. And I would say this isn't anything new for me. Like it's been conflicting being a Blazer fan for 
quite some time, like really outside of that, uh, you know, we had that, that Western Conference Finals race. Like there was a time in the 17-18 season where Portland would get off to these slow starts. And it's like, okay, do, do we need to, to start to tank? Like we maybe we might should have. We got swept by the Pelicans and then the Warriors handled us for two straight playoff series. I think the one that bugged me the most was um, 16-17 when we had we, we knew we were going up against the Warriors and Yusuf got hurt. And it's like, what, what are we doing? Like, we, we don't need that. We don't need the playoffs that year. Like, we had just gotten another pick from uh, the Mason Plumley trade. Like, we had three picks. Like, we could have continued to move higher instead. Like, we wasted it all for our first round exit. I think if I can say a blanket statement about Blazer fans, we want nothing less than another first round exit. Like that, that, that cannot be, that cannot be the result of this season. If that's the result, it is a colossal failure. And a lot of people need to be held accountable because we've been there. We've done that. It just shows that the team continues to, to, to not make a decision. That's all we're asking is make a decision, you know, go, go up or go down. Mm-hmm. And well, that's been the, the, the thing that we've been talking about since this started in 16, like, they don't they they want the cake and eat it too. They want to play both sides of the fence. It's it's Kenny, that's Kenny been the Smith thing. Alluded to that as well on inside the NBA after that that Phoenix game. He said you you can't have these developmental players playing alongside you know your your Dame and your CJ and your Nurks that that are ready to win now. Like you have to be one or the other. And he said it just feels like they're they're not all in on. on but that's the Neil O'Shea special. Absolutely. One thing that I've been thinking about with this team and, and especially with drafting um, regular season is one thing, but playoffs is where we're really thinking about. Like I think Chet Holmgren, for instance, he's seven feet, one eighty. He's a skinny boy in the regular season. I think he'd be just fine, but if he's one eighty, then Sarah little can guard him. So, on our current roster, how many playoff players do we have that won't get planed off the floor because of their aggressive weakness in one thing or another? I don't think Larry Nance Jr. has ever made the playoffs either. Larry Nance is not a playoff player. He's going to get played off because he can't shoot. Dame, CJ, Norm, and even CJ had an abysmal last playoff against two terrible guards defensively. So that's Dame and Norman. A- that's even a stretch. And Norman was inconsistent. If you want to be like 100% honest, it's just Dame. I would put Norman in it. He did win a championship. I think that at, like being able to go from one game playing man to a box and one to zone shows the versatility that Norman Powell has. But well, I think that if being said, yeah, I am Norman, a Norman Powell. You have to throw in CJ because CJ's perf- he's proven he can do it as well. I'm, I was just going off of last year's result primarily so i i think you can include those three but if we are really being picky i think it's it's just it's damien because yusuf can get played off the floor because our coach can do it coach uh fouls turnovers lack of finishing around the hoop no seven person for him to guard he was terrible against the nuggets let's yeah not cut robert covington can get played off the floor because he's not shooting the ball. He's not rebounding. He's frustrated with the team. Larry Nance, because of the lack of shooting, 
would get targeted every time defensively. I feel like the same thing with Nasir as of right now as a prospect. He would get played off the floor because of the spacing. But he, he provides a lot. But at regular season, he's providing so much. But in the playoffs, when shit gets... These Blazers coaches and every other coach, during the regular season, they're flying by the seat of their pants to try and think of a game plan. But if you and I can pick out the weaknesses in the Blazers or a, an opposing team that fast, don't you think people that get paid to do it are going to find the weaknesses in every one of these players and exploit it every single time down the floor until you're forced to make a change? Well, and then you absolutely. And then you look at Anthony Simons, where he has had some playoff success, but given the construction of the roster. It, that was, wasn't that first round success. Yeah. And given the, the, as the, the, as the series gets tougher, those successes are going to be less and less of, and of a prevalent likely going to be sharing the floor with two other small guards. So in mm-hmm. a sense, based upon that, someone's going to get played off of the court because you can't go small without, I think a point of attack defender behind you or multiple playmakers in, in the postseason. It, it just, it, it won't, won't work. It didn't work against Denver. And that was that, that matchup was tailor made for Portland to, mm-hmm. to succeed. And, and they, they really didn't. So, yeah, like, I think when we're talking about adding a player, like, I was excited about uh, Larry Nance because I thought of the regular season version of Larry Nance. But I think now, if we're going to compete, we got to think about playoff successes. Larry Nance is going to get played off the floor. He's going to get attacked and attacked and attacked and then get off the floor. And then we're going to have to go with Robert Covington. I was... um watching the game after or prior to, to recording this podcast and you had alluded to the spacing and the spacing was terrible with, with Larry Nance and, and Yusuf and, and, and like you were watching and it's, everyone was sagging off of their shooter and getting Except ready Norman Dame and Dame had the ball in his hands and they have five heads all on, mm-hmm. on Miller. That's going to tighten and increase in, that's not a word, but it's going to tighten and increase. Um, no, increase. Come, come post time, postseason. Like that, that's it's just going to happen. So that's why it's really important for, for Joe Cronin to find playoff performance. Who is going like you have a five plus your, your bench players? Can you come up with a, a great balanced five that complement one another? So, what is a playoff player in your mind? There are a lot of elements to it. I think first and foremost, you need a player who's not afraid of the moment. Like they could be the most talented. They could be the best, you know, schematic fit. If they have the deer in their headlights look and they're not ready for prime time, you can throw all all the other stuff out the door. They have to be ready to play. They have to relish in the moment. Uh, That's what I think makes Damian Lillard so impressive is he doesn't get too high. doesn't get too low. Like he tends to elevate as, as the pressure, um, tightens up i think you need a player who does at least one thing exceptional that they can fall back on you have the superstar in dame but when you're looking at filling the the rest of the roster do you have somebody else who can catch and shoot do you have somebody who can uh, really almost act like a cornerback and take a side of the floor away can they just lock it down can can if whoever gets hot on the opposing team you can say okay that's your man we need you to be that point of attack defender can you rebound and defend 
Can you play the passing lanes? Like what, what do you do? I think a playoff performer, I think you need at least two to three specialists that can really complement your, your star. Then I think you need not one, but two other players who they may not be go-to players for all 82 games. They may not be go-to players for all seven games in a postseason series, but when you need a bucket, you know who you can call. And I think that's what made the great Portland teams of the past. Like yeah, there were Clyde games when Eric Clyde and uh, Terry. Clyde and T- Duckworth would get like 30 points. Like Jerome would in, in his own way get 25. You know, Cliff and Ainge could come off the bench. And then you would go back to 77, obviously, with Luke and, and Lionel Hollins. Johnny Davis, you know, came in and really won that Lakers series after Torzik went out. Like you need players that you can rely on. Like it can't just be Dame. So that's what made that 2019 run work really well is because Portland had their specialists. They had their other players who could get buckets. They just kind of, they they ran out of, I think, top end talent and and Golden State had that and Portland didn't, but you could see the the recipe was there. And, And I think, you know, we've talked about this, like Seth Curry was such a huge part of that Rodney Hood. I I think the number one thing is versatility. Yeah. You've got to be able to, can you guard multiple uh, players? Can you fit in with multiple lineups? Like Seth Curry gave us multiple things. Uh, Like you're not going to have him run pick and roll every position, but he can run a secondary pick and roll with like the power forward. If like Damien doesn't, it doesn't go well in the first attack doing a secondary attack with Seth Curry worked. Like Norman Powell is capable of running that secondary attack. That's why I kind of think that's why I think of him as a, a playoff player. You talked about the Warriors. How versatile is Clay Thompson, KD, and Dre, Dre Drummond? Or you, you want to go Harrison Barnes instead of KD? You mean Draymond Green? Shit. Yes, I do. <laughs> Dre Drummond is not versatile. <laughs> I'm still yeah, mad at uh, I'm still mad at uh, Draymond Green for beating me in 2K an hour after he finished playing a, 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 an NBA game against the Magic. Yeah, you you need versatility. You need players who can defend. So who's versatile on our team currently besides Dame Norman CJ? I don't know, but that's so what made that it, 2019. Is it, is it the roster or the coaching? <laughs> you have to have both. Mm-hmm. You have to have both. You you have to have a, a coaching staff who, and I think when you're looking at a coach for a playoff a coach, you need one who is going to push the right buttons. Each player needs to be coached up individually. You need a, a coach who sees the game that can adapt. I feel like can, Nick Nurse is the perfect example of what Nick Nurse saying. is fantastic. Like that that dude from game to game, from quarter to quarter. Switch that throw. shit up on him so fast. Do you see us switching up all that shit? I, and I get it. Regular season, it's a, it, it's just eighty-two game sprint. But do you think that like, I don't think that we can change up the scheme from, you know, let let's say we're going in a series against the Lakers. We're not we're not going to do well doing the same exact thing every time, especially well, with LeBron. There was an example somebody pointed out, and it, it's this is why I love when people do this, and I wish somebody would do it um, more often because there would be an audience for it. The last game when the Clippers came to town, they ran some action for Paul George. It, the first resulted in a, a bucket on the wing, a jump shot where Yusuf Nurkic came out and showed, but he left Zubak wide open. 
Paul George hits hits the jumper. Next time out, and this is in the fourth quarter, Ty Lu sees that. Like as it's happening, like he has no iPad, like he just he sees it and he says, Hey, Nurk is going to show on the perimeter just enough on Paul George that Zubak is going to be wide open. So just make the pass. Sure enough, that action came. They threw it right down to Zubak. Nobody was within five feet of him. Easy dunk. And that that's the type of coaching that takes to win in the league because everyone is so talented that everyone will also let you beat them mm-hmm. if you're able to figure it out. It's almost like everything is a solvable puzzle, but you just have to know where all of the pieces fit. And I think Ty Lue is actually one of the best in-game adjusters. Uh, and that, it, that, the, that coaching staff's excellent. So, like, yeah, in the playoffs, it's where you – having that elite coach shows a lot. Like, Nick Nur- like Nick Nurse and the Raptors went in a box and won in the, in the playoffs, man. That don't happen much. So, yeah, I, I, I think from now on, when there's going to be moves, we have to think about it in the – playoff mode and not the regular season just because of the the game is so different and with that being said is ben simmons a playoff player at what price tag right what what does portland have to give up i mean when you're talking about being a a lockdown defender a distributor absolutely when you talk about the game maybe being too big or deer in the headlights Hell no, but that situation may have just... Is he, too, kind of, is he so good as a defender and a playmaker that the inability to shoot makes up for it? That's that's going to be the million-dollar question that any team is going to have to ask themselves when, when they attempt or even look at acquiring Ben Simmons. Could they say, no, like we, we don't think he's a primetime player, or is there going to be a team that says, you know what, he was in a really bad situation that mentally... This what this isn't Ben Simmons. This isn't who we believe he is. So somebody is going to have to make that call. Some coach gonna is going to think that they're going to have to roll the dice and think it. Um, I, I tend to believe that he was just so over Philadelphia that he just kind of did what he could and like didn't like he just wanted out. So I I do think there is a good chance of him being a playoff performer. But at what price? Like, I don't think you're don't give up the three picks and, and all this young talent to acquire it. Like the, the value should be low after that playoff performance and after sitting out the majority of of this season. So, again, it, it all, you know, are you. Is the risk worth the reward and what what are you risking? Are you risking just like, you know, Rocco and, and Nurk? You know, I'm just throwing out salaries. Or are you risking CJ and Nas? three picks, three swaps, like what What are you risking? Because mm-hmm. that's all going to factor into how you feel after you get it. Like I think most Blazers fans would be okay if we had Robert Covington, like if we just signed him. But the fact that we gave up two first round picks and now we're seeing that performance for like, well, this is just a massive sunk cost that we just can't seem to get back. Yeah. Yeah, but that, that's how I'm going to look at all Blazers transactions is can they play in the playoffs? Because if you look at it that lens, giving up a future first-round pick, kind of bad draft, I don't think it's worth it. Because there's a chance, that, that you know, there's going to be a chance that we do get someone great. But because of Larry Nance, we can't. So we went off on multiple tangents there. Oh, uh, it was all we- my fault. 
sorry. No, in, in a good way. Sage, I think we both have the same ugly. For oh, the my week. God. We haven't talked about that. <laughs> and I, I think it has to be the the, coronas, the coronavirus outbreaks that, that are basically threatening to shut down the, the NBA. You've got teams, multiple teams that are now having to have their games postponed. Um, Brooklyn being the, the most recent, they do play Portland schedule uh, for the 23rd with their previous two being postponed. So I'm not certain if that's even going to get played. It, it seems like every notification I get from Woj or Shams is X and X are have entered health and safety mm-hmm. protocols. And I don't, one, it is a human being, so they all are of equal weight. But when you look at it from a marketing standpoint or a, you know, a product standpoint of of who's actually playing there, these are some big names. Like Giannis has COVID. KD, Kyrie, Trey Young. James Harden too. James Harden. Like Russell Westbrook apparently had it and then didn't, but. Yeah. And it's just Anthony Edwards too, your young gun. Yeah. LaMelo Ball, your other young gun. John Morant's had it. So, yeah. the, I mean, you're looking at the the face of the league. I think I think the league is at a crossroads right here. I, I know the owners want to continue. They want the show to go on. They want that revenue money. That Christmas money. They, they want to protect that Christmas slate as possible. But I'll tell you what, Sage. If they go out there and they trot out the, the Brooklyn Nets, Without the big three. With Cam Thomas running point. (laughs) If they trot out the Atlanta Hawks and New York Knicks with no Trey Young, that's the entire storyline right there is Trey Young coming back to Madison Square Garden. It's going to – like the NFL already took Thursday nights away from the NBA, which I – Such a dumb shit fucking thing. Horrible decision. The NFL is playing Sunday – or excuse me, Saturday is Christmas. College football has done, so they do play on Saturday now. The NFL is going, I know they're dealing with their own COVID protocols, but the NFL in general in America is the top draw. Like, do you really want to get crapped on that badly on Christmas day? If you're Adam Silver, like you, and this is coming from just a strictly marketing perspective, not a moral perspective, because I I think right now the league needs to hit the pause button. I think they need to do some mandates. I think they need to tighten the restrictions because Sage, as we, we talked about this earlier, it, it's re, uh, off camera. Sports were kind of a normalcy. Like the return of sports, even though life wasn't normal, it, it, there, when you see a game on TV, you see their fans in the stands, like there's some comfort to that. Personally, I've been to a Timbers match. I went to three uh, games at Austin Stadium. I went with you to the PK Invitational with the 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 Ducks and the Cougars. I went to the playoff games at, at the Rose Garden as well. We went to that so, Suns Blazers game during COVID. <laughs> so yeah, like the, the 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 game before everything shut down, we we were there. So like there, there is a sense of normalcy. However, when there is a vaccine available, and we're seeing out outbreaks happen at a rapid pace. Uh, unparalleled to what we saw prior to a vaccine available, that shit is incredibly depressing. And a lot of these players, almost everyone, they have friends, they have family they interact with. There are fans in, in most arenas that don't require a vaccine or a negative test that are sitting courtside, breathing on them. The players themselves, 
are, are breathing on one each other. Like they're sweat, like they're fucking it's sweat and shit too. Like, what is it going to take for them to take it, it this seriously? Like, I, it, it's just really sad that there's not even a, a plan in place to. The, the fact that Friday was the first day that the Players Association and the NBA agreed to more stringent policies on away games. Kind of crazy because the day before Giannis got a got put in health and safety like the mellow ball and the charlotte hornets have been in health and safety so the fact that they're so delayed on developing a plan is pretty incredible and i get it like this isn't just like we're, we're talking about a complex thing but the fact it's it's been a while and there's nothing yeah, there's there's nothing, and the product is suffering. It, it doesn't really feel like a real season. Like when you have the Brooklyn Nets trotting out that starting lineup that they did without those three, and you just like, does that people paid money to see that? Like, uh, should that win even count? Or like, everything just feels so like bogus. That that's just the best way to kind of put it. Like nothing really matters like yeah portland beat beat memphis that's great but there was no jaw like the the warriors just lost but jordan Poole just entered the, the protocols like it like what's gonna happen come playoff time like again we we just talked about you you acquire a player to see how they can perform at playoff time adam silver better yeah adam silver better take a long fucking outlook at this because how bad are the ratings going to be if you've got like two teams and they're just so mediocre that they just, you know, they're in there because they were happen to stay healthy. Like th- nobody is going to take that, that seriously. Like you don't want these playoff matchups really decided by who is or who is not in the health and safety protocol. So I, I think they need to figure something out like that. That is whether that's putting a pause on it for, for two weeks and saying, okay, like we're, we're just going to have to go to a 76 game season or, or something like that. Or it is, we're doing a mandate for vaccines plus keeping in line with the strict testing that they had, because we didn't hear about, yeah, we didn't hear about any of these health and safety protocols prior to a vaccine or just, just introducing the vaccine. But it's been a long time since these players have gotten their vaccines that, that did get vaccinated. It's starting to wear off a bit. You got to get the booster. Like it's just like anything else, like every year, you know, or however long it is, you have to boost your immunity. So for the NBA to just be so cavalier and reckless just makes me feel kind of icky uh, to put it, to put it bluntly, because these are players lives that, that are at stake and it, it it's it's bigger than basketball so that that is easily my ugly for the week um i forgot to add this but this is this would probably be my good um former guest of the show uh john mccrofka who works in blazer broadcasting mentioned on, on a forum that uh, all of the blazers have received their booster which which is fantastic news and, and if that is inaccurate uh, i apologize uh, but I did read it under his moniker on a forum. Um, th- that that makes me happy. Like these are a good bunch of guys to root for. Um, it's fantastic to see that they're 
you know, believing in, in science and they are doing what's best for themselves as well as the, their families and, and the other players' families. So having the Blazers completely boosted, I, I think, is, is, a, is a testament to them being one of the only teams that hasn't dealt with uh, an outbreak. You know, they're, they're taking this shit seriously. So, you know, knock on wood, that continues to um, be the case. But again, regardless of how you feel about a win or a loss, it, we have a bunch of great guys on, on the roster uh, to deal. We do have a few fan questions, especially from last week that came in as we were recording. So as always, if we don't get him on that week, we will all bring them in to the current week. We have one from at Liang Shu 23. It's a great question. That's a great believe- pronunciation. I'm, I, I have not looked at any of these, but that's a great pronunciation. Thank you. If the Blazers were to make a midseason move, which archetype of player would you prioritize getting? Rim running, rim running big, two-way wing, or guard defender? You love your you love your archetype. So what what what's the archetype that you want? Like you're Joe Cronin. You this is your first trade. You're going number in. one. It would be a a wing size player that has skills that involve shooting and some sort of playmaking number one number two would be a, probably a a defender that's a good enough shooter to be respected and then i don't really want a rim runner because of spacing and how bad we are at that at throwing lobs well that and running a pick and roll with the defense just in the middle of the paint not really happening so i think that Shooting and defense from a wing position would probably be my number one thing. But that's the most luxurious archetype ever. Small forward that shoots threes and plays defense and can dribble. Yeah, basically a Mikhail Bridges is is what you're you're looking for there. I would say, yeah, along with that, I would love a a stretch five who can defend. Um, I think, <laughs> you just want to say Miles Turner. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 why I I want him. I I think he's he's fantastic. Um, also, I think Portland needs a legitimate modern day power forward, somebody who can rebound the basketball, who can stretch the floor consistently, and is a, a very good defender who can guard multiple positions along that front line. So. What I think the knock on a Larry Nance or Robert Covington is, is Nance doesn't spread the floor. Covington's too reluctant and can't Covington. I don't know how he got this reputation for a defender. I don't honestly know how he made first team all defense. He can't lock up anyone. He's a good help defender, but he one-on-one, I think a subpar defender. I think Um, the way that he closes space really fast was the reason. Because I would say his first two steps really fast, and then maybe fake. that's why he leaves shooters so open now because he still thinks he has that step. Because I mean, that's been. I, a, I think the scheme has a lot to do with that, though. Too, it's so high. It's so high variance in terms of the aggression that if it does, if you don't get that steal, you're giving up a three. But yeah, I think the number one archetype. So we, we're looking for a, a running mate for, for Damian Lillard. I think you're looking for a wing that can defend. 
is a, basically a triple threat. He can defend, he can play make, and he can create his own shot. Like can can Dame? Yeah, that's find... so rare. <laughs> it is, but yeah. that, that's that's but, but that's the preferred that's the preferred archetype. Yeah, we, we talked about last week on, you know, a player that maybe a LeBron or a Giannis needs as their their Robin to win. That ceiling isn't as high as a player that that Dame would need to play with. You mm-hmm. know, Dame does have his deficiencies. Can that player? Make up for them. Like whatever player does shouldn't need the ball in their hands a bit. Like Dame dominates the basketball. Whatever player we bring in should be able to defend specifically on the perimeter because that's what Dame is lacking. So I think that's the, I mean, those are the archetypes are where are our voids? Can you fill those? Not, oh, you're six four, you like the ball in your hands, you can score, you don't really play great defense. I mean, the, you can't keep filling up the roster with similar archetypes. So really anything that is different than what we have is probably a good start. Yeah. I I, I mean, I think we both agree that it's got to be a wing prospect. Yeah. You, it's got to be a wing. Four. Three, four. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, preferably a four, because I do want to see more of Nasir and how he progresses. But if we got that guy, there's a pretty good chance Nasir's in that package. Yeah, depending on the player. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. And if uh, they love North Carolina, the GM loves North Carolina for whatever reason. <laughs> another question. It's a two-parter from at GN Stoyanov. Georgie wants to know, number one, if Chauncey, if Chauncey Billups is player profile is comprised of, you know, grit, high basketball IQ and you know really good defensive ability what are some realistic options to target without trading dame ant or nas so he's looking for players that are gritty high basketball iq and at least a plus defender so who would be realistically a target and you can't give up any of the young guns or dame deladova <laughs> you're just making like um TJ McConnell, I think, yeah. would be a great. great he has a, he's out for the year with a wrist injury. Fuck. I mean, that is just. Bro, Malcolm Brogdon had an Achilles injury a few days ago. And normally I would just put TJ McConnell in everything, but he was out. So I had to fucking figure out how many minutes Alizé Johnson and uh, fucking jo- uh, Justin Holiday were going to play in a Pacers uniform. It sucked. Um, if we move away from the white, gritty white guy archetype a little bit, I would call Memphis and see if Dylan Brooks is available. I would call him for Xavier Tillman. Yeah, I mean, because Brandon Cl- or Brandon, give us Brandon Clark too. Yeah, you, Memphis, I think, is actually a really interesting team to look at. They may be, they have so many B minus players. They need higher level players. They like we can name four wings on the the Grizzlies. We'd, we'd probably do a lot of dirty things to get them on the team, but they're B minus players. Yeah, they have, they, they may be accelerated in their trajectory. So they may want to go in a little bit quicker. As you mentioned, they have a surplus of players that, that we need. Uh, they have Jaron Jackson Jr., Jonas Valanciunas, uh, Jonas Brandon is Clark, Big, or Stephen Adams, excuse me, and um, Xavier Tillman. So could you pry away a Tillman or could you pry away a Brandon Clark at the guard? They have jaw. They have Tyus Jones. 
Melton. Um, Anthony Melton, Kyle Anderson, uh, Desmond Bay, and Dylan Brooks. The, I mean, you're going to have to start to pay these players. I want um, Killian Tilly on our team. <laughs> so <laughs> D- Dylan Brooks and Tillman are two that I would make a call for right I now. I feel like Desmond Bain is that player that they're uh, not trading. This, they, I, I Desmond know. Bain, yes, but they are not trading Desmond Bain. You know, we could have probably had him, but you know, it is what it is, Neil. Um, hmm, I'm trying to think. Any other like, players that come to your mind before I go to the second part of the question? I mean, Herb Jones, but they're not getting him. Um, Marcus Smart, Harrison Barnes. Oh, that's a good one. That is a very good one because, uh, shit, he plays like 36 minutes now. I like him. That would be a good one. But the thing is, like, when a team has them and for Memphis, a surplus of them, you're not giving them away for garbage. That's a very rare commodity. High level defender, good basketball IQ. Yeah. I mean, it is. That's why Portland needs it. If, if to um, go the opposite way with this question, I would caution against, and this is what Portland had already done in the past with a Robert Covington. I would caution against going for what I would say a name. And what I mean by that is Robert Covington, Larry Nance Jr. A player like Jeremy Grant, like everyone wanted him. And then he gets this massive contract in Detroit and he puts up good numbers. But again, it's in Detroit. I think the price for a Jeremy Grant is going to be higher than a Tillman or a Brandon Clark. And, And I don't know on the Blazers roster if production would be that. I mean, Jeremy Grant would be his production would be cut in half instantly. Going like from I, Kate Cunningham, I just think who's you have to really watch out for players who may have already hit their peak. Is he's an older? I mean, he's my 28, age. He's 28, 29, just about in that age where we got Robert Covington. So, just just throwing caution to the wind when it comes to players who have gotten that contract, who are performing well in a large role. Um, so that's why I like. You know who the, I? Again, this is this is pure my bias Devin Vassell give me Devin Vassell San Antonio's not trading him I know but he's so good give us DeJounte Murray then (laughs) honestly and I was thinking about this while watching the Charlotte game Charlotte needs a center Charlotte's gonna try to make their seventh right now they're gonna try and get out of that plan are you going with your crush Kelly Oubre oh no 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 That, that crush is long gone I would love to see if we could reverse that trade and get a Charlotte first and Plumley for Yusuf Nurkic. Make it make it happen. Make it happen. I mean, Mason Plumley has those three characteristics. He's cheaper than Nurk, and you get a first round pick out of it. Like, hmm. I'm trying to think of some like it's huh. That's a really good question. Thaddeus Young, probably. My beloved. But I don't think Portland is that's at a enough. winning, that's a winning. That's a winning pick. You're going to have to give up a first round pick to get Thaddeus Young. And in normal circumstances, I would say you don't do that. But if you're like one piece away, then then you go there. If we traded for Ben Simmons and are feeling like we're one Thaddeus Young away, sure, do it. But Josh Hart. Yeah. And and really, one question, uh, back to that first question, archetype, you you mentioned, uh, or I kind of described Mikhail Bridges as one of that player. Also, like OG and Anobi. Oh, what yeah, was... but I, I I thought of OG, but I was just like, he's too good. Oh, yeah, but <laughs> if you're talking about archetype, like, that's what I want. Like, also, like, 
a player on the rise. Like I don't think Portland wants to get a guy who maybe has a year before he declines. Like I think you need to also invest like this player can pick his game up when Dame starts to drop his game a bit, because that's inevitably going to happen. Like, so I think you need a player who's going to continue to increase in performance. And the second question, which I already know the answer, Robert Covington from Marvin Bagley, the third, would you do it? Both players expiring deals. Can we get a sweetener for it? So you get a second round pick. I do it. I do it in a heartbeat. What's what's a, a good scenario for Portland? Just letting Covington oh, what a walk. better pick. <laughs> right? Just letting Covington walk. That that at this point, that's a good scenario. You don't there. want to sign him. I would do it. And it's because of Marvin Bagley's movement ability. It's yeah, always think, been high. I think he could be a five in, in this league. I think Sacramento has Yusuf? been known. Sacramento has been known to kind of hinder performance. And mm-hmm. I mean, player, good players just go there to have their careers crumble. And it's, it's unfortunate, but maybe he could get into a good situation. Portland's had success in the past with lottery picks coming and just bettering their careers, whether that's a Rashid Wallace, uh, Maurice Harkless. I mean, I would it, do it. It, yeah, it. It's not sexy whatsoever, but I would do it. I don't think it's sexy, but I think it's intriguing. And I think right now the Blazers need any amount of intrigue that they can get because that just, I think gives you a little bit more, I think just on a this year basis, like, Oh, what's, what's back going to do? Like, yeah, he's not, you know, Luca and Trey, but he was taken in the top five. Is there still juice left in that orange? Like, can he... I, 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 there definitely is. Um, I, I don't know though if they would do that trade. To be completely honest, I Alvin mean, Gentry Sacramento loves. Are pretty dumb. Sacramento is pretty dumb. Alvin Gentry loves Marvin Bagley. Yeah, I mean that would have been. I mean, you said that like when Luke Walton was there. That that's the. T- that's when not having a general manager really fucked over the Blazers because that was ripe for the picking. And like now Bagley and Terrence Davis and are like high valued assets on this team. Like Terrence Davis for the last like 10 games played like 35 minutes and scored 19 points each game. Like if we were going to make our, make our move on the Sacramento Kings, it would have been to get Marvin Bagley and Terrence Davis before that last Kings game. But when Luke Walton was pl- the coach, take those two, we, though, that's a good trade. But now Terrence Davis is too good. All right. Those were the fan questions for the episode. Wait, 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 wait. There was one about Dame that I, that was a, who or what got Dame riled up in the other night during that post game interview. Oh, after Justin B. Light. After he dropped 43? Yeah. My idea is that it was, I'm trying to help Sage in the Daily Fantasy Conquest. <laughs> That's why um, I, I told them to suck while Charlotte was uh, making their run. I mean, I think we've alluded to this during uh, our episodes this season. Game's going through a lot mentally. Uh, I don't know if he'll he'll admit it, but being at the center of the NBA media storm can't be easy. And he's been the eye of the storm for multiple months. Now you're also dealing with an injury. You're dealing with a team struggling to win, um, struggling to now play well at home. And then you do hear the chatter like, Oh, is, is Dame, is he on the decline? 
Um, is he watched? Like what, what what's going on? And so you hear that. And then I think you almost hit a tipping point where you show that you still are capable of doing that. So then I, I think he just kind of let those emotions flow out of him. Like after having that performance, like I'm still fucking here. And whether that was warranted or not, I, I think it just stems from, again, all of those other factors that have been kind of tagging along with him over the past few months. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I try and I watch Blazer games, but I don't watch anything else. Like, no. I, and and I, I'm with you there. Like I'm really over, like, I feel bad that Dame has to say, I want to be in Portland every third day. Like, and when I hear him say it, it does nothing for me. Like it, it if he asks for a trade, he's going to ask for a trade. If the Blazers there's nothing training, you and me and can do. There's, and there's worrying nothing, about it. Isn't helping. Yeah. Exactly. There's so like, many I'm, other things that you have to worry about in an era that's defined defined by COVID. To worry about what Damian like Damian Lillard saying this for the thousandth time instead of the ninety nine hundredth, like that he wants to stay in Portland. Like, remember when he was arguing with a sports writer about wanting famous. to? No, it was. Well, I guess multiple people. Then. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he Dame's not one to hold punches. Like, I'm. I think we've kind of been there, done that with, with that Dame storyline, like Dame punches back. We we know that. So it's like, it's nothing really new. So I just kind of, I honestly didn't even think, think too too much of it. Like it it is what it is. Like Portland got the victory and then they moved on and and they won again. Like that's what I'm looking for. Like, is, is it going to turn into victories? Like usually like what, what does the, the statement lead to rather than the actual statement itself? All right, Sage, Portland has just two games this week that we will be discussing. And I I probably won't even discuss one of them because it may be postponed. Um, It is the Christmas break. Portland is off from the the 20th. They get the 24th, the 25th, and the 26th off. So they will not be... um, they really just played this game on Tuesday in New Orleans and they probably could have up to a week break because as we alluded to earlier, they were scheduled to play Thursday against the Brooklyn Nets here in Portland. But with Brooklyn's next two games being canceled and Brooklyn also uh, playing on Christmas, I would think that that Blazer game would be postponed. They're playing the Lakers um, so they haven't played since the 18th, the 25th gives them a week. Um, I don't even know who would be playing in, in that Brooklyn game. So I don't think it does us any good to even talk about who could do what, uh, at the Cam Thomas is the most likely person to do well, David yeah. Duke jr. Horrible name for a black man. David Duke jr. Would be the second. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm looking right now at their injury report. 12 players on the injury report. And I think 10 of them are in health and safety protocols. So then Joe, uh, the the white boy, uh, Joe Harris, Joe Harris is actually hurt. And Nick Claxton with the wrist. Mm -hmm. So they, they have nobody who, who can play. So let's not discuss that game. If it's played, just pray that nobody gets infected. I hope they don't play. Um, it just just doesn't seem worth that risk. So we'll just have one game to talk about 
And it is the uh, New Orleans Pelicans, your other team. Sage, this is the first matchup. Um, give us a little breakdown of what's happening in the Crescent City. So Zion Williamson hasn't played a game this year. Um, he's going to be reevaluated in four to six weeks. Sage, do you think he plays at all this year? Because I'm getting this, the, the vibe that he's not going to suit up at all. No, I don't. I don't think of him on the Pelicans. I really don't. Because you look it's at Brandon New, Ingram's team. New Orleans is 10 and 21 on the season. There's about 51 games left. Likely not going to be in that playoff hunt. Why Whether, rush him back? Yeah. Why, why rush him back? It, it seems like there's and a lot. And it gives of, more time to, for Trey Murphy and Herb Jones to play. I also think that there's just a lot of negativity surrounding Zion, whether that's how he's appearing, whether that's out of, out of shape. Um, there's reports, whether they're substantiated or not of him falling asleep in film session. Uh, it's, it seems like it wouldn't make a lot of sense to trot him out this year, especially, you know, Ky- Kyra Lewis. Jr. I love the, the way that you just said trot. That's how he moves. <laughs> yeah. It just doesn't seem like it's the good vibes with, with Zion and the franchise. I feel like that it's good vibes with Brandon though. Yeah. Like he, he plays hard. Like. The thing about him now is that he's doing the second and third effort on plays. So right now you're 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 looking at the Pelicans. It's Devontae Graham, who's a really good movement shooter, really good shot, tough shot taker. Josh Hart, who is like the smallest six five power forward ever. He gets rebounds, assists, points. Um Brandon Ingram, superstar, mid-range shooter, extraordinaire, can't hit the long ball. Jonas Valanciunas, who's finally getting the uh, the minutes that he deserved since the Toronto Raptor days. Toronto and Memphis just never play him the right amount of starters minutes. It's kind of like Yusuf Nurkic now. He never got the right amount of minutes in those previous stops. Maybe it's because of like the people behind him being good. But he deserves he deserves 30, 36 minutes a game. And then my favorite player, Herb Jones, starting at the power forward, lockdown guy from uh, Alabama. Uh, I would imagine in this game that Herb Jones starts out on Damian Lillard. Ooh, that is. I, I have all the confidence in the world. That so, is a tall task. Well, he guards he guards Carl Anthony Downs. He guards John Morant. He guards everybody. So I would imagine that Herb Jones starts out on Damian. But he, he has the trouble with keeping his hands to himself. Not like Jaron Jackson level, but a lot. He's a, he's an aggressive nightmare, you know, 22-year-old person. He's going to try and get those steals. But I would imagine that Herb Jones, who I think is a top 10 point of attack defender, starts out on him. And then if he gets into foul trouble, which is completely, totally likely, you go to Garrett Temple, who Dame has exposed in the past. Remember the Brooklyn Nets game in the bubble? Um but yeah, this is this is a this isn't a very talented team, but they try hard, and that's something that the Blazers need to really focus on. The, the, aside from still pro athletes, aside there's two two points I want to make. One last game before Christmas, the players may just be wanting to get home to their families. That always is is a tough mental challenge. Oh, absolutely. But also for the Pelican Sage, where does the offense come from outside of Brandon Ingram, Jonas? Jonas and Devon, like those are the three. It's Brandon, Jonas, and Devonte. I mean, like as a scorer, Devonte Graham is pretty, pretty skilled. I really like him. I think that he would be much better in like 
backing up Dame instead of starting with Dame type of thing, but he's really skilled at scoring the ball. Like, again, professional players. They have people that love to defend in Josh Hart and Herb Jones. They have players that can shoot really difficult shots, lull. Um, and then they have Jonas. Does Yusuf Nurkic match Jonas in minutes? Or effort or intensity it, or on but, the boards? You, I, I, I'm kind of sick of seeing, like, Yusuf uh, being the uh, the scapegoat for everything wrong in this season. It's... It, it, he has bad body language, and I will admit that. But I see him running down and doing what's asked. I think it's kind of unfair that he is put in that position of being the reason that we suck. No, the reason that we suck is because we have six three guards that don't really care about defense, two regressing power forwards, and Jonas has it. I mean, Yusuf has his problems. But yeah, I, if, if Chauncey Billups makes me watch. Larry Nance Jr. defend Jonas Valanciunas. Going to be kind of pissed off a little bit. All right. Before we wrap up this episode, wanted to give a, a shout out to Dame. There was a, a video the Blazers tweeted out uh, in Memphis. There was a little kid that had a sign that said, all I want all I want for Christmas is to meet Dame. And there's a video of Dame kind of doing a, a fist bump after the victory, um, just probably making the kids year. And he's going to re- remember that for for the rest of his life. So that just that's just an awesome moment from an awesome person. So great that Dame is in Portland. He has been the best, I think, rep- representative of of this franchise that anybody could could ask for. So just just enjoy, just enjoy that we have him and for however, however long it is, and just hope the Blazers pick a direction to go. That way, we'll know. Do you think, Dame, if the over-under is 25, would you take the over or under against New Orleans, who's a bad defensive team outside of Herb Jones? 25 points? Yep. I take the over just because Portland has a day off. If it was a back-to-back, I would take the under. Um, and we clearly saw that this week. Uh, Memphis-Phoenix, where he just didn't have it. Um, I think if New Orleans can guard Dame without fouling, that's where he's going to get get the um, the under. Mm. But if, mm. if they foul him and put the line ten to fifteen times, I mean that's easy money for Dame. Yeah. yeah, even on a bad shooting night, and he tends to play extremely well in New Orleans. Yeah, because he wants to rap with Little Wheezy or other rappers that I don't know anymore. All right, Sage, uh, that'll wrap this podcast up. Uh, I hope all of our listeners have a happy holiday, whatever you celebrate, whatever you don't celebrate. Just uh, enjoy the season. Stay safe. Sage, let our listeners know where they can find us. We're on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Himalaya Podcast, Dash Radio, Nothing But Net Radio, Tuesdays, 2 to 3. And uh, happy holidays, everybody. We're out of here. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go! Let's go.